This is the Drummer's Resource Podcast, session 185. And the quote of the day is from Confucius, who said, The expectations of life depend upon diligence. The mechanic that would perfect his work must first sharpen his tools. You're listening to the Drummer's Resource Podcast, home of in-depth interviews with the world's greatest drummers and industry professionals. Information, education, and motivation for drumming and beyond. What's going on, everybody? Nick Ruffini here with another session of the Drummer's Resource Podcast. I hope everybody had a great weekend and hope you're having a good Monday so far, if this is a Monday when you're listening to it. But anyway, I hope you're doing well, no matter what day of the week it is. Hey, check it out. If you want to attend the free webinar of how to get bigger and better gigs, you can sign up at drummersresource.com forward slash gigs, G-I-G-S. I'll be covering why and how people get hired, how to create your relationship with artists that you want to play with, proven ways to become a first call player and how to get and most importantly keep the gigs. So that's the bigger better gigs webinar how to get bigger and better gigs check it out drummersresource.com forward slash gigs and it's free to sign up let's get into this interview today with the amazing thomas lang this is a really special interview for me because i saw thomas play at i think the first PASIC that i ever went to which was like 15 years ago or 16 years ago something like that and was not only floored by his playing, but just amazed. I didn't realize that there was that caliber of player out there until I went to PASIC. And then I saw him and I got out of there and told everybody, I was like, he may be the greatest drummer I've ever seen in my, in my entire life. (laughs) I'm not crying. I, (laughs) I had something in my throat. Uh, so it really special for me. And there was some life lessons that I took out of his clinic that I still use today. And you'll hear all about that in the interview. And then we also talk about some challenges that he's had and a lot of his practice routines and, you know, his constant drive to be better and better switching from traditional to match grip and a whole bunch of other stuff. So, you know, it's Thomas Lang. So he has infinite wisdom to share about drumming the business of drumming the you know and the music business all that stuff because he's thomas lang so i'm gonna stop talking and i'm gonna get thomas in here right now here we go the one and only thomas lang Thomas, how are you? Thank you so much for doing this. Thank you, Nick. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. So we were just talking a little bit uh, off air. You just got back from from China. You were there for, what, seven weeks, you said? Yeah, yeah. And it was um, a seven-long-week tour. I mean, it seemed like seven months, to be honest, because, you know, it's a little different to tour China um, than other places because of the government, because of... uh, the 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 fact that you can't uh, go online, you know, Yahoo doesn't work, Google doesn't work, YouTube, you know, all social media doesn't work. It's blocked by the government, so you're kind of very isolated when you're touring there. But it was amazing, you know. It's always a, a great experience. Well, that's what I was going to ask. Is it is it tough being over there? Because I I, I went to uh, I was in Thailand last year, and same deal. They're not as restrictive as as they are in China, but but. You know, is it is it hard being over there without all of that stuff, without, you know, connection to social media and all that stuff? And like, how is it with email? Is well, email- it, it is. It is. Uh, like I said, it is more difficult touring there than other places because of the connectivity and uh, the fact that 
you know, you, you simply can't do a lot of work. I mean, your Dropbox isn't accessible and neither are any kind of Google documents or shared documents or anything like that. And for my work, you know, when I tour, I still do a lot of um, uh, work online, not only checking emails, which is difficult because, um, you know, a lot of those don't work either. But I also, you know, I do mixes, I review stuff online. I, you know, I have to communicate, do interviews and so on. Um, so none of that works really. And that makes it definitely a lot more difficult. Yeah. Oh, that's I mean, be, Thailand, that's you know, that it's nothing like Thailand. Thailand is, is obviously free internet and everything. But, uh, you know, a communist country like, uh, like China has very, very strict um, sort of censorship, you know, of, mm-hmm. of any kind of media. And, uh, yeah, that makes it a lot tougher not to be able to connect and stay in touch and, uh, or work, you know? Right. And I would, you know, it would be amazing if there was some way that you could sort of say, Hey, no, look, I'm, you know, I'm from the States and I'm going to, uh, I, I like, I'm not going to, I'm not staying here. I don't live here and somehow get some sort of internet access, but I don't think there's uh, any chance well, of that happening. Of course, there's a way, a way, and what a lot of people, including myself and a lot of Chinese people do is you get a foreign VPN. Right, you know, and this is for anybody who wants to go on tour in China um, and uh, are sort of worried about staying in touch. Uh, you can get a foreign VPN and log into the, the internet abroad somewhere, mm. uh, but you know that's very spotty. It does right. work, but you you know uh, the connections are usually very fragile, and uh, and it's it's a real pain to to stay connected that way as well. You know, right, right. So now I I just briefly said you know, hey you know I'm you know I'm I'm from the states but you're technically not from the states you were born in Austria correct? Yeah, exactly in Vienna, Austria. So let's for I don't think there's anybody out there who's listening who doesn't know who you are but uh but in case there is or or you know in case anybody who doesn't know a lot about you just give a little bit of context yeah. of of you being born over there and then and then coming over here and sort of that that transition okay. how you got into it and there's a ton of information on your site and and online and all that stuff so we don't have to get too far into it because I'm sure you've told this story a zillion times but just to build a little bit of context yeah now I'll give you like the five minute version of it or no the, the thirty second version of it <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah I'm originally I was born in Vienna Austria. And I uh, grew up in Vienna, Austria, uh, had my first drum lessons there, you know, was inspired to, to play um, in, in Austria, and I had drum lessons. I studied music at the Conservatory of, of Vienna and at the Music Academy there. And then at a very young age of um, 18, I basically left um, the country. I went on tour and never came back. So... Um, <laughs> That's the, the short version, you know. Um, but um, I mean, there's a lot more detail to that. But that's really basically what happened. And after I left Austria, I lived in. I actually came to the U.S. for a short while, and then I, I moved to England, and I lived in England for 15 years in London. Oh wow! And then I moved uh, back here to Los Angeles, and I've been here now for also about 14 years, you know, 15 years, or something like that. You live in the in the drum mecca of California. <laughs> the, Absolutely, you're like Thousand exactly. Oaks, right? Exactly. That's like where I don't. For some reason, there all these drummers move there. Well, this is like you know. Actually, I'm in in a place called Westlake Village, mm-hmm. which is like Drum City. I mean, there is within a 500 yard radius from my house. There's about 
probably seven or eight other like world famous drummers and other musicians and and within about a mile radius from my house there's probably you know 20 or 30 or more really right. you know world famous drummers and percussionists and stuff so this, this is a bit of a you know mecca for the international drumming heroes cuz i know that who's all i mean Kurt Busquera's out there Luis Conte's around you right yeah exactly uh, I mean, you know, that is my neighbor, right? Um, you know, Mike Baird is here, and Mark Schulman, and Louis Conte, and Greg Bisonet, Kurt Biscara, John Robinson, uh, uh, <laughs> Joe Picaro. You know, and the list goes on and on and on. It's so, amazing. It's amazing. Yeah, yeah it's good. <laughs> so the reason why, the reason behind you not going back was it because of opportunities, or did, were you just the scene wasn't there, or were you just sort of like ah, I just want to kind of expand what I'm doing? Um, a little bit of all that, you know. I yeah. want. I was always very much inspired by British rock music. When I first started playing, I was totally into you know Deep Purple and and everything that came out of the UK. Really, you know, uh, English metal and everything from Black Sabbath to even. And like Genesis and more the progressive stuff. So English rock and progressive and pop music always influenced me very much. And I was a huge fan. So um, that was one of my sort of ambitions to be able to work there and work with English speaking music because that was, that had a lot of global uh, you know, potential for success. Whereas where I was working in Austria, it was mainly German language music. So you were kind of limited to a, to, a, to a certain territory and a certain market, which is obviously limited by the language. And um, so that was one consideration to be able to work more internationally and, and work in the English music scene, uh, meaning English language music. And, um, and for me also in, in Austria, I had pretty much reached the pinnacle of what was possible because the, the bands I was working with, especially the one act or artist I was working with named Falco was the biggest thing in Austria. And that not only in Austria, actually in the world at the time. I was going to say, they were huge everywhere. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And, um, and I mean, we had, you know, number ones here in the States and in pretty much every country in the world, all over the planet. Um, and uh, and it, there was nothing bigger than that at the time. And this is basically how I kind of stumbled into the, you know, music scene. I, I started at the very top and it's been a steady downhill <laughs> um, tour from there. But, you know, that's, that's how I started. There was nothing bigger. And I, I, I felt like, okay, that, that's pretty much it in Austria. Uh, all I can do now is, um, is look for, you know, work and, and for acts and bands that I can play with internationally and, glo and, and tour with globally. And, and those acts wouldn't be Austrian. So... Yeah, uh, I know, sense. looked around exactly. So that that was the major incentive and reason to move to the UK. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. The the one thing that I wanted to bring up that you referenced, uh, you know, getting started early, taking lessons and things like that. I saw you perform at PASIC. Uh, I want to say it was like two thousand, two thousand one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Something like that. Uh, completely mind blown uh i'd never seen anyone play the way that you do so i was that's i got i just want to put that out there and let you know that i was absolutely well, thank you, just thank you. blown away but one of the the things that stuck out to me was that you said you had a teacher and he told you to always write everything down yeah when you, when you were practicing and absolutely. 
And that is something that has stuck with me ever since I saw that clinic, you know, 16 years ago or 15 years ago, whatever it was. And I've always, mm-hmm. from there, not only in my practice routine, but in life, like I write everything down now. Mm-hmm. And all because of that, uh, because of your clinic. Um, wow. So, but I want to, I'd like to talk a little bit about, about practice routines. And I think that everyone has a different way of practicing. And I think that everyone has an idea of what works for them. But I always like to hear my guests system of practicing, because I think that the listeners can pull bits and pieces out of that, that can work for themselves. So can you talk a little bit about, about your early practice and, and the concept of writing everything down and how you actually went through that? Oh, sure. Um, well, I was very lucky that my first teacher, and I started at a very young age. I started at around five. Actually, it was four. Just just before I turned five, I started. Um, my first teacher taught me how to practice before he taught me how to play. Before he did any actual technical lessons with me or anything, he uh, sort of drilled me and instructed me very thoroughly on what it means to practice, what the practice rules are, uh, how you uh, learn to focus and concentrate for long periods of time, um, why we practice, how to set goals, how to achieve goals, and so on and so, so forth. So he, he taught me a method of practicing uh, at, on, on day one. And for the first like seven or eight weeks of my lessons with him, when I was a very you know, young uh, boy, he taught me about methodical approach, about making plans, about sticking to the plan, about uh, goal setting, etc. And that really made a huge difference in my uh, practicing uh, routine, in my practicing life. And it very much affected my efficiency, not only in my practice life, but also in my playing and working career. And uh, I'm still very grateful to his um, teaching and instructions at the time. It made a huge difference in my life overall. And um, I think it saved me at least at least 50% of, of practice time compared to other musicians. Um, you know, and I've, I've, I've shared rehearsal rooms with other musicians many times for months or even years. And I know how other people uh, practice, not only drummers, but also other musicians. Uh, musicians and i can see how you know their approach to practicing lacks in efficiency uh is really not very methodical is often very random and confused and uh and they stumble upon things by uh coincidence usually uh or by luck and rather than actually plan ahead and and uh, and have a really methodical approach to practicing so that's um that's my background on that, you know. So can can we unpack that a little bit? Because I'd love to I'd love to hear sort of how how people practice incorrectly or inefficiently versus the way that you practice, and you know, like maybe a specific example of of uh, of something that people can take away and bring into their practice room. Okay. Well, um, again, one of the the biggest problems is that a lot of other musicians or, or, or drummers practice without a plan, you know, and, mm-hmm. and one of the most in- important things in life, not only in practicing is to have a plan and, and plan your, not only the, your daily routines, but 
plan ahead, you know, months, years in advance, knowing what you're going to be practicing in November this year, you know, um, or knowing how long it takes, you know, exactly to develop an, a new idea from zero to being able to apply it in your playing. You know, having knowledge about your behavior, your level of, of focus and concentration, how long you can practice per day, blah, 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 blah. All this affects your efficiency in practicing and uh, time management and, and productivity. And a lot of musicians never think or worry about those things. And they have absolutely no plan. They pick up a guitar and start noodling. And maybe they'll find a lick that they... Um, that they um, need to work on, or maybe they just play along with a song and discover a chord they don't know, and kind of then take it from there. You know, rather than mm -hmm. having a very concrete idea of what they're going to be practicing that day. You know, right. so having a plan is is a big thing. Mm -hmm. You know, mm -hmm. having a plan uh, and having a daily plan and a daily routine uh, makes a huge difference. Um, another thing that um, is important is is knowing practice rules and sticking to the rules R rules like you know never play when you practice or never practice when you play or practice every day or practice like you play etc i mean there's there's literally dozens actually there's hundreds of rules and i have a little book um, that um, from the first few years of my my uh, practicing with that particular teacher we were talking about earlier mm -hmm. and um and it's full of these very short very concise and and uh, you know important little practice rules right and um and one thing that i always did was stick to those rules like you know don't stop an exercise until it's done never interrupt an exercise like fix mistakes as they're happening don't stop playing when you make a mistake fix it as you're playing and so on um things that a lot of other drummers i know um or other musicians don't do mm -hmm. and uh you can again improve productivity and efficiency in your practice if you stick to those rules um for example, rule number one, you know, never play when you practice is probably the most important rule. Uh, this means that you have to dedicate separate time for playing, for being creative, for experimenting and so on. But when you're practicing, uh, it's, it's usually or it's always working on something you need to improve, working on something new, uh, refining things, uh, tweaking things, learning new stuff. Um, and when you're practicing... There is no time for playing. This is not something um, where there is um, sort of room to experiment. Practice means really you know, like hardcore, frustrating, tedious, repetitive exercise. And, um, and it shall not be mixed with playing. A lot of people, you know, practicing is a very frustrating thing. There is never a feeling of success. Even, you know, if you've, if you've, worked on something for a few months and you finally kind of achieve uh, a higher command of playing in that particular area of your playing or or you finally master this one particular exercise you've been chewing on that thing for so long that it's really not like this wow feeling of frenzy and achievement even after a month of working on something so it's it's usually very frustrating to practice and develop something new and because most people need sort of an, an, a feeling of gratification and, and satisfaction and, and kind of um, uh, a feeling of achievement and success, they start to mix 
playing something they can already play into mm. their practicing routines. Make them feel better. Yeah, to make them feel better, to stroke their egos and, and, and tell themselves, well, I'm not really that terrible. You know, I can't do all this stuff that I'm working on, but I can play this cool beat that I've been playing for 15 years. And then they start playing that beat and kind of wander off mentally into playing uh, whatever the Dodger Stadium with their favorite act, and they stick around on that and, play, and noodle around for 10, 15 minutes. Right. Before they return back to focused uh, practice and, and working on particular things, particular ideas. So, and this sort of combination and, and sort of dilution of your, uh, your practice um, regime is terrible for efficiency, for your concentration levels, you know, for focus practice and so on. So that's one thing that I've never done. And I still don't do. I when I practice, I do something. I do things very methodically, very rigorously, and I totally stick to a plan. And it's super focused and concentrated and repetitive. And then I make, I dedicate, you know, a separate amount of time for playing and for applying these ideas, for translating them onto the kit creatively, and for experimenting and completely letting go of all sort of um, uh, focused type of thinking and it's completely a sort of, you know, um, free form playing, you know, not right. practicing. So, you know. So do you get, I, I would imagine that there's parts in your practice routine where you get frustrated as well. And yeah. Course, and you feel like throwing the drums through the wall. So what, what do you do then? Do you sort of just step away or do you fight through it or do you play for 20 minutes and then come back to it or? No, I just uh, stick with it. I stick <laughs> with it, and I don't give up, and I just keep chewing until it's 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 all done, you know. And I think that's where the that's where the rubber meets the road. Right there is that point where you say, "All right, I can either give up, or I can keep pushing myself, and I can challenge my comfort zone." And I think that a lot of people give up. Well, that's exactly what I mean. They or they they escape mentally into you know playing something they can already play. They just jam a little bit or or noodle around on the kit and 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 sort of play phrases and things that they feel comfortable with, just to stroke their own egos, to re relax their mind, to to kind of disconnect with the, the the tough aspect of practicing for a few minutes, and then they return to it. And that is a huge waste of time. If, if this honestly, if you are a good practicer and you have a high level of concentration, then maybe you only waste 30% of your practice time on noodling and playing. Mm -hmm. If you are a, a, an average practicer, it's about 50% of your practice time spent on playing, not practicing. And again, you know, this is about productivity and efficiency and achieving and reaching goals. You decide whether you want to be the drummer you imagine to be in 10 years or in five years, this is a huge difference because 50% of your practice time every day translates over a period of 10 years, translates to five years of your practice time. Yep. And uh, this is really where the rubber meets the road. And this is really where, where decisions, not only like playing, but life decisions are made in your rehearsal room. You know, it's like mm -hmm. you decide, do you want to, do you want to be that drummer you envision to be in five years or in 10 years? Well, you decide every single day in your rehearsal room, you know? Right. It's the compound effect too. It's, you yeah, know, absolutely. it's, if you don't, it, it, most, you know, some people say, well, I don't have an hour a day to practice. Well, if you practice 10 minutes every day of diligent 
of diligent, concentrated practice for 10 minutes and you do that every day, that's more than doing nothing, you know, and all of that compounded over a year is that's a lot of practice time. Yeah. I mean, you know, it's not enough on any kind of level sure. or achieve anything, but of course it's better than nothing for sure. And, uh, I mean, in terms of, if you're talking about like, you know, time invested or necessary, uh, I'm sure you know the 10,000 hour rule. Sure. And, um, and this is really just your foot in the door with professional drumming. 10,000 hours are an absolute minimum. Uh, obviously the rules, uh, says that it, it, it requires 10,000 hours to achieve a level of excellence in any area of expertise. In my opinion and experience with 10,000 hours in drumming or playing music, you're just barely there. I mean, you are, you know, a good player, you're a professional player, but you're not the world's greatest drummer by any means. Mm -hmm. So, you know, but you have to have at least, you have to have logged 10,000 hours of hardcore practice time. And in addition to that, playing time, you know, at least the same amount probably. And sure. then from then on, you expand to the next, you know, to 20,000 hours of practice time or 30,000. If you look at the greatest drummers today or musicians in general, they've invested far more than 10,000 hours in, in alone practice time. Um, and um, so I'm just saying, you know, that translates into three hours and 20 something minutes for seven years. So if you do have, you know, only 10 minutes of daily practice time, it's a bit of a drop in the ocean. Uh, but of course, it's better than nothing, you know. Sure. But we're talking about a high level of of playing and talking about, um, you know, um, a really sort of intense, um, you know, input input and uh, sort of a, a, a professional ambition as a player. Then you have to invest a lot more time mm-hmm. than ten minutes a day or even half an hour a day. A lot sure. more. Than, sure. Yeah. So, and without. You know, sounding overly dramatic. I mean, you're you're Thomas Lang. You're you know, arguably one of the the greatest drummers in the world. And every day you have to get up and continue to challenge yourself. So what what keeps you motivated? What what are some things that maybe you see in your playing that you that you need to work on? I'd be interested in hearing that because you operate at such a high level now. Um, well, I only I only see things in my playing that I don't like. Actually, I'm. You know, I, um, I'm never happy with the way I sound or the way, you know, something feels or translates or projects. I'm always, you know, extremely critical of my playing. And to be honest, I've never felt that I'm even, you know, I've, I've, yeah, I've felt that I'm getting closer to where I want to be as a player, but I never felt that, um, I'm really there at all. And the the older I get and the longer I play and the deeper I kind of uh, get into the, the, the real, you know, sort of high-end drumming substance and uh, the, the more I know how much more work there is to do and, and how much more time I have to spend on details in my playing and in my technique and so on and so forth. So, you know, I never... I never felt that I was great and I'm, I don't do now, you know, and I'm flattered by a lot of compliments and, and, and uh, sort of the reception of, of my work and, and, and how people kind of perceive me as a player. It's super flattering and, and it's, it's humbling and, and, and I'm, I'm always honored, but it's, uh, there's a complete disconnect 
between what the perception of me is in the world of drumming or music and how I feel about myself. Sure, sure. It's, you know. Now, do you look at that as that you're not you're not happy with your playing from a from a standpoint of oh, there's I can always be better? Or I mean, do, well, let me rephrase this. So, does it it doesn't keep you in sort of this weird unhappy space where it's like, well, I'll be happy when kind of thing. Like I'll be happy while my playing is at, at this point. I mean, is, the, or is there some happiness? No, in- I don't think there's ever that. Point. Exactly. You know, that and the, 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 that's the beauty of music or, or art. I don't think there is ever that point where you're happy with um, your, um, the, the, the result, you know, at least not me. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I know there's always more to do. There's always more to learn, to improve, not only technically, but also creatively. There's, there's always something new to think up and to think of and, and to create. It never ends. And that's the beauty of music and art. It's an ongoing, never-ending process of growth, improvement and development and creativity. Um, and, and that's the cool thing. You know, there's never sort of the point for anybody out there in the world of music or or art where you can say, that's it. You know, I'm good enough. You know, that's, that's idiotic. Right. Uh, And and I I wasn't asking if you ever say like you wake up one day and say, I think I'm, I think I'm good where I'm at and sort of just, you know, rest on your laws. That's not, I wasn't asking that. I was wondering sort of uh, the, the drive to continue to always be better is there, which I see. And I, I have that in my own life and wondering if, if sort of it, it's a delayed happiness sort of thing. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah. Um, I no, I don't think it. Um, you know, my drive is is sort of stems from or originates in in an unhappiness or a frustration with my playing. It's not at all. It comes from a very happy place, right? And right. from a from a from a place of you know a desire to to be able to express myself more freely and even better. I know how good I am as a player, but I know I, I could play with even more ease and more freedom and, and I could be even more creative and, and I could come up with really fun and exciting things that I know will uh, give me you know, pleasure and excite me when I play them and, and probably um, other, you know, my listeners and my fans as well. So it comes from a place of, of you know, playfulness, a place of, uh, of, of, you know, a desire to discover something new, to be creative. It's definitely not a place of unhappiness, you know. Right, right. So, and I'm, I'm perfectly happy with, with, you know, my standard of playing and, and things I've achieved in the past, etc. cetera, uh, on the instrument. But, you know, my desire to improve and to go back every day is, is my passion for music and my passion for drumming. Mm-hmm. The fun factor, the fact that I just love sitting there and I love noodling around and I love playing music with other people and I love playing music by myself. It's, you know, it's, it's that sort of the pleasure it gives me to spend time on the instrument. And, uh, and the, the knowledge um, that I can discover more and create more and and entertain myself and hopefully other people with it you know mm-hmm. i think you're a lot like like i am where i'm addicted to the climb 
You know, yeah. I love I love the I love the journey versus just getting there as cheesy as that sounds, but that's Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And you know what? Today for me it's not so much a climb. It doesn't feel like it's 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 hard. It's more like a cruise, you know. Right. I love to sit down when I have time, which of course is is not very often, but I love to just sit down and play and discover and play along to music or something that I programmed and and just kind of stream of consciousness, let, let, let things flow and, and discover what kind of happens naturally in my playing and then sort of cultivate some of those ideas. Um, you know, that for me is, is total pleasure. It's, it's, in a way, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm active as a player and kind of a creative person in this situation and also passive as a, as a listener. You know, I'm often just playing and, and an hour later I realize I've just been listening to myself play and taking notes of what I like and what I don't like in my playing so I can then go back and cultivate those ideas that I like. So it's a very interesting sort of um, way to spend your time for me today. It's different than it used to be where, you know, it was more of an uphill struggle and climb every day right. and I was really kind of pushing myself uh, in, to develop certain techniques or, or learn certain styles of music etc but today it's, it's, it doesn't feel so much like, an, like a struggle it's, it's more like a, a cruise you know mm -hmm. it's more like a, a little a stroll and an adventure you know it's like a, like a nice hike rather right. than right. uphill spurt you know <laughs> uh -huh. i look at it sort of this is sort of a dumb analogy but when you first start going to the gym the first couple months really suck but then once you get into a routine it's just sort of what you do you know and you're constantly getting better you're constantly getting stronger you're constantly you know improving but it's it just doesn't seem as hard to like get out of bed and lace up the sneaks every day sort of thing absolutely exactly yeah We're going to take a quick pause for the cause, and we'll be right back with Thomas Lang. So if you're looking for that Thomas Lang sound, you can look no further than DW Drums. He switched from another company to DW Drums. And why did he do that? Because they make great drums, and he loves the sound of them. And you can get that sound for yourself by going to DWDrums.com. Also, for those of you who like to read but don't have the time to sit down and do it, and if you're listening to this on a podcast, you're obviously into audio, so you should check out audible.com, and you can get a free book from audible.com if you go to audible.com forward slash drummer. It's 100% free because they are a sponsor of the podcast. They offer that up. So head over to audible.com forward slash drummer. I recommend checking out the four-hour work week or talent is overrated or any other book that you would like audible.com forward slash drummer. Some exciting news for our sponsor Promark. They just released the new Mike Portnoy signature stick with heat activated grip. This active grip actually gets tackier as your hands get hotter. So as you start to sweat, they're not going to slip out of your hands. Now this active grip technology is new from Promark. It's the only place that you can get it and you can learn more about it at promark.com. Now, let's get back into it with the man, the myth, the legend, Thomas Lang. I saw you at PASIC, you know, 15 years ago or so, and from what I've seen from your playing then versus now, and I'd love to hear if I'm totally wrong about this or not, but it seems like your style of playing has changed and your overall feel has changed a lot in a good way 
uh, well, not necessarily good way or bad, but it's just different now than it was 15 years ago. I, I feel like you groove harder now than you did 15 years ago. Is that something that you worked on or am I totally wrong about assessing that? Um, I don't think you're wrong. Uh, I think for sure that my playing has changed and, and, and it was, and I hope it has because if I look back uh, at, at myself playing 15 years ago, you know, I'm not happy at all. <laughs> so uh, I, I, I definitely made very sort of uh, drastic changes in my playing deliberately and and uh and this was all premeditated and 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 i'm happy with the results and in terms of grooving the thing is that you know not many people know really what i do work-wise on a daily uh recording wise or 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 playing a touring wise a lot of the drummers in a, in a drum world focus on my on what they can find about me in sort of the world of drumming or online, which is all solo stuff and it's not really groove-based stuff at all. And if I play songs, then they're usually songs that have kind of complicated drum parts or somewhat kind of uh, complex uh, playing approaches, etc. So, mm -hmm. And especially back in the day, there was even less stuff available that was groove-based. Although, ironically... You know, my work and my day job is just to play beats and grooves, and it had been even when I first kind of got more noticed in the world of drumming. Even before that, those fifteen, twenty years before that, I was just working in the in the music industry as a groove player. You know, mm -hmm. so there's a lot of stuff out there that's groove based and that I'm still happy with today. But I think there's more. There are more videos and kind of things available now online where where people can see me play just more simple beats or grooves and and maybe that's that it's maybe your impression is simply a result of of you know more stuff being accumulated online that people can watch and kind of pick and choose and, sure. and maybe find some groovy bits you know what i mean mm -hmm. yeah but and, I, and I, I would like to think that also my my groove playing has developed and and is more mature today of course i would i would love that and if you think that then thank you very much then i've you know achieved something right. you know, in my playing that's awesome and and i and you know i wasn't i wasn't saying that there was you know there was negative or positive aspects of before it just to me it just it just your playing just feels different now oh it's, it's it definitely feels different to me too because you know i made some of those like big changes i made where for example my grip you know i don't play traditional grip anymore mm -hmm. which was a major sort of uh uh change in my playing and in my sound and approach and of course it affects every nuance of your playing sure. especially groove playing and ghost notes dynamics reach you know etc well what was what was the reason to switch out of that because I, you're not the only person who i've talked to ha, who has decided to stop using traditional or are using it a lot less yeah well you know i had some hand issues i had you know uh, carpal tunnel syndrome on both my hands and i had to get hand surgery on both hands oh. um, and that was a, a obviously a bit of a downer and it made me rethink and reevaluate many things in my playing everything from seat height and position to 
you know, mental relaxation, of psychology, which hand to lead with, grip, why, you know, traditional grip versus matched, and so on and so forth. It, it made me reconsider uh, the, my configuration, the way I tune the drums, electronics versus acoustics, all these kind of things. And, um, and of course, I had to get surgery too, which put me out of, uh, you know, you know, into a, like a forced vacation a couple of times, uh, and having a little bit of distance from the drum set mentally and physically, you know, makes you makes you reapproach it in a different way, mm-hmm. and and I think all that contributed to to these changes in in my sound, in the style of music I play, you know, my my groove playing, micro timing, etc., and and for. Just to explain, you know, this whole carpal tunnel thing, it was really debilitating. And for many years, I played with this problem. And a lot of those videos that you see online of me from probably 10 years ago, I I already had this problem and I was struggling with it. And even if it seems like I'm having the best time of my life playing the drums, my one of my hands was probably completely numb and I couldn't even feel the stick in my hand. Wow. You know, so... And I've I've had this problem for many years, up to a point where where I was risking risking um, permanent nerve damage because it was so bad, mm-hmm. um, and I had to get surgery and then rehab and all sorts of things, and then I had to, the same problem with the other hand. So yeah, there was that was one of the main reasons why I changed grip. Not only the physical aspect and and the injury factor, but also the fact that of course the grip. You know, traditional grip is asymmetrical versus match grip, which is completely symmetrical. And traditional grip is a very unnatural grip compared to match grip. Mm-hmm. If you give a, a drumstick to a you know monkey, he's not gonna hit something holding the stick. Traditional grip, you know, he's gonna hold it like hammer grip, more like match grip, because it's just a lot more natural to use that grip to hit something, and it has an effect on the on your anatomy and and of course you're more prone to injury and of course it's much much more it um labor intensive and time consuming uh, to practice this grip in the first place traditional grip and it requires a lot more maintenance than match grip and i just wanted to kind of get away from that world of constant maintenance the stress factor of having to warm up and practice uh, traditional grip before big shows you know the, the 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 uncomfortable sort of blisters and and bruises you get from playing loud music using traditional grip and all that kind of stuff in the end i'm like oh, i've been playing for this for 30 something years i'm t- i'm just sick of it now right. <laughs> I, I don't blame you it's boring me i i Honestly, and this may sound arrogant, but it's not meant to. I was I felt like I can play anything and I don't have any sort of real limitations speed wise or, or you know technique wise with traditional grip because I was you know I've been practicing like a maniac for so many years. Right. And and I felt like there was no challenge for me technically with that grip. Only only not playing wise, only physiologically and injury wise. I had issues because of it, and and those didn't, you know, and those issues outweighed sort of the benefits of of having great control and command with that grip. Mm-hmm. And I decided I want to detach myself from that world completely. 
you know, and, and the one, the most fundamental thing you can change in your playing is of course the grip. So I said, why not just stop playing, you know, traditional grip? Then I, I don't have the, the worry to, you know, of, of more or worse injuries to my hands. Then I don't have to worry about maintenance and warming up as much. And I, I have a challenge technically in my playing and I can get a, like a fresh breeze into my playing overall because I have to now force changes. It affects my setup, angles on the drum set, my reach, all things that I kind of wanted to change and reevaluate anyways. So that was the reason why I did it. You know, it was... It makes total sense to me. Yeah, and the trigger, the initial sort of um, idea came or inspiration was a problem, you know, the, the carpal tunnel syndrome, but then it developed into like, hmm, you know, what if I change it and never return? And uh, after the surgery, just pick up the stick the other way and start, start rehab with match grip and, and lose all the stress factor of, of, of traditional grip and, and the asymmetry and all that. And, um, and yes, like you said, I know a few other drummers who've made the same decision. Um, and, um, and some are, are sticking with it or at least playing a lot more matched than traditional and others have changed completely like I have. And uh, I think, uh, you know, in the long run, it's going to disappear completely anyways. Mm -hmm. So well, I mean, it's an antiquated grip too, you know. Yeah, yeah. Which makes sense. And I never, I've played it for years, but have never... I, for, I mean, to be honest, haven't put as much time as I did with match, but never, just never felt super comfortable with it. It just always right. felt really awkward. And, you know, for me, I was like, I, it doesn't make sense for me. And I practiced it for a while. I put in a decent amount of time. I, I think I put enough time in to realize that this doesn't, this still doesn't feel good. Right. And it doesn't feel right. So I don't see the point of spending another 10 years trying to learn this grip. Oh, I hear you. You know, I, because I've been there and I did spend those additional 10 years, you know, so, and even after, and like I said, you know, I played traditional grip exclusively for like 30, 35 years or something, you know, it's right. a really long time or more, 37 years, something like that. And I, I practiced it every day and I really got into the detail of all the different pumping motions and, and finger controls and, and molar and what have you. And, uh, and I felt good. And I, I feel like I kind of reached the sort of, you know, the, the peak of my ability compared to, you know, like Buddy Rich or some legend like that. And at that point I felt, okay, I mean, I can now just try to maintain this, um, but, you know, it, it's even after all those years, it's always felt like a crutch and like a handicap compared to match grip. Right. And there is a beauty in the asymmetry of it. And, in, and, and it's a nice tribute to the, you know, drumming tradition and history to you know, hold the, the stick traditional grip, you know, the whole mm -hmm. military tradition, all that. That's all cool. And there is a certain psychological aspect to playing with an asymmetrical grip because it's, it it uh, inspires asymmetrical thinking in your playing, you know. But physically, it's a total crutch and it's right. a total handicap. So, yeah, I, re I remember reading somewhere that someone said, you know, the only the only thing that that the only benefit of really playing traditional grip is paying homage to the people that came before you, and you look a little bit cooler on stage. But other than that, there's no real advantages to it. No, absolutely not. There's you know? no physical. Uh, or anatomical advantage. If there was one, or if there were a real advantage to this grip, why wouldn't we all play 
traditional grip in the right and left hand. Right. You know, I mean, it makes no sense when people say, like even when Buddy Rich said in one of his interviews, yeah, oh, the modern cats, they're all playing this match grip. It's stupid. The right grip is this. I'm like, yeah, well, if this is the right grip, why don't you hold the right stick like that too? <laughs> you know, I mean, if it would be of any kind of advantage physically or mechanically, then of course we should hold both sticks that way, Absolutely. not just the left hand. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah, and of course, you know, as we all know, with match grip, there's a lot larger muscle groups involved and, and you, you know, the, the hand is closed on top, you know, mm-hmm. and it's easy to create downward pressure and play loud and powerful with, with traditional grip. The hand is open on the top, basically. It's right. just the thumb on top of the stick. With match grip, you have the whole hand and the palm and the back of your hand kind of coming down on the stick. So you, it's just a lot easier and more natural to play that way and I'm kind of I'm very happy I made that decision and I have these conversations with a lot of my friends everybody from Steve Smith and Virgil and Jojo and when we talk you know we were always the only people who played a traditional grip you know and maybe Vinny and 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 Dave you know Weckl people like that and obviously we were all friends and we talk about these things and um and I'm I'm really happy I'm I'm, I've made that decision, to be honest. Mm-hmm. And even when I look back at videos of mine from like 10, 15 years ago where I'm playing traditional grip, it looks awkward to me. And it's strange. And I hate my, seeing myself play that way now, you know? You probably feel the pain still. <laughs> I still feel the pain. Absolutely. Um, and, um, and I remember sort of the stress element and the stress factor of having to maintain that, that grip and 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 you know, knowing that, you know, if you don't play for a week, you have to, it feels like you're starting from scratch again. It never, you know, feels entirely natural, no matter how hard you practice and how much you practice with that grip. Right. Right. Yeah. That's, I, you know, I never really thought about sort of the maintenance levels of them and, uh, and how much more maintenance that that traditional grip requires versus match grip. Absolutely. Yeah. I think it it would be like a factor of probably um, probably something like five to one or or more the, the the level of maintenance required to to you know to keep a traditional grip feeling good you know versus feel you know match grip maintenance at mm-hmm. least five to one yeah wow. Yeah. So you would mention changes in your playing. That was one of them. Uh, was that the main change that you were talking about in the in the shift? Well, I, I think so because it affected so many other things. I mean, the the changing grip affected, of course, the way I set up my drums. You know, the angles of the playing surfaces, uh, height of things, placement of things, tuning of things, um, um, and uh, and with that comes, of course. Uh, you know, micro timing, feel things, and and of course also a stylistic change in my playing and in the music I play. I mean, I played. I think, you know, after I made those changes, I also changed drum companies and everything uh, at that pretty much around the same time because I thought if I change something as fundamental as my grip, I may just as well change everything as well, mm-hmm. everything I can in my playing to really kind of start from scratch and. Uh, and I did, and I'm super happy with it. I'm I'm glad I didn't continue on the path I was on before. Right. Yeah. I mean, who knows? You could have, you could have maybe not been able to play at all, right? 
Absolutely, absolutely, yeah. Ugh, that's yeah. that's a that's a scary thought. So, what? Who did you play before? Because who do you play now? DW. Yeah. What did you play before? Sonar. Yeah, exactly. That's what I thought. Okay. Yeah. Um, uh, I don't know why that question just popped into my head quickly. Um, so what are what are some things that you have going on now? Because I know that you you've always got something in the works that's going on, or you're, you're absolutely doing clinics, or you're having a boot camp, or you're doing this, or you're doing that. I'm doing all that exactly. <laughs> Well, I do a lot of, you know, I do a lot of recording work. I have a studio here in in LA, and uh, I do a lot of remote sessions and online sessions. And when I'm not on the road, this is what I do pretty much every day. Um, and I'm I'm very lucky to have a lot of requests from people from all over the world to play on their records and contribute, um, either as just a session drummer, or also as a co-writer or co-producer. So I do a lot of that stuff pretty much every day when I'm home. And, um, of course, I have this whole um, other thing going on, the educational stuff, which is, of course, my Thomas Lang Drumming Boot Camp um, and the Big Drum Bonanza, my big annual drum event here in Los Angeles. Um, and uh, brand new, and this is one thing that uh, you know I want to talk about, is um, I'm opening a new online drum school um, in about two weeks called Thomas Lang's Drum Universe. And um, so that's a new thing. What, where is that going to be? Is that going to be thomaslanguniverse.com or is it just going to be through your website? Drumuniverse.com is the URL. And the name of the website is Thomas Lang's Drum Universe. Um, but you'll find it under Drum Universe um, URL. So, but when you search, you'll, you'll, it'll come up as Thomas Lang's Drum Universe. Right. And um, I recorded all new material, hundreds of um, exercises, um, and I have some experience in, of course, you know, producing educational content with all my DVDs and books and all those things I did with Hudson Music in the past. But uh, and I've had an online school before. A few years ago, for about a year and a half or two years, I did have an online school, but uh, was working with people that that I wasn't happy with and infrastructure I didn't like. So this is uh, a relaunch of my sort of online school now. Awesome. With all new material, um, I filmed it at Drum Channel, and and Don Lombardi at Drum Channel was very kind to to help me out with uh, with the recording process, and. Um, and I filmed a lot of exercises also in my studio here, uh, and it's going to be a very uh, interesting, you know, new platform for me to share information and also to teach, uh, you know, individual students online and to create completely personalized and customized content for individual students um, in my school. So uh, it's interactive. Um, people can send me questions and videos that I can correct, judge, evaluate, and then send them uh, video replies back um, and kind of coach them through their um, problems. And um, so I'm looking forward to that. That's that's going to happen in a couple of weeks. That's great, man. I'm excited for you about that. Yeah, I, well, thank you. So, you know, I mean, you and I have talked off air about this before, and we, we were talking at NAMM that, you know, I was doing some work with Drum Channel, and when you went in to film those lessons, it was something I just d felt like I should point this out. That how many lessons did you film when you were there? Something ridiculous. Some, I think, uh, four hundred something. <laughs> and you did it in like two days, didn't you? <laughs> yes, very quickly. <laughs> 
yeah. I came in and and everybody's drum channel was just sort of like eyes glazed over. I said, I said, what's going on? They were like, we just filmed 400 lessons in, you know, like 48 hours. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> well, you know, I don't mess around. Um, and I, you know, the thing is the, the quality, of course, is the most important thing of mm -hmm. these lessons, but there is so much stuff to teach that the quantity matters too. And it is important to provide a lot of information, I think, um, in high quality, of course, but it does matter. You want to see all the different variations of an exercise and all the possibilities. I think for a student to see just you know a vast amount of information and a wealth of of information and a high number of exercises and and hopefully uh you know lessons that are inspiring will make a difference you know mhm mm mhm mm i agree and and the other thing that you would mention was your big drum bonanza that's what next week right that's happening next week yeah it's always uh, july 4th weekend because that's independence day <laughs> So, yeah, it's always July 4th uh, weekend, and um, it's going to be exciting. This year, I have Glenn Sobel from Alice Cooper. Mm -hmm. I have uh, Gergo Borlai from you know, Tribal Tech. I have um, Scott Pellegrom, who I just love. He's playing so out of the box. You know, he plays with the Scott Pellegrom Trio. Mm -hmm. I have um, Brian Fraser-Moore, who's, of course, with you know, Justin Timberlake and Madonna, mm -hmm. and myself teaching. And we have uh, special guests coming in just to say hi and uh, a chat to the people like Greg Bissonnet or Hal Blaine. And um, so it's going to be a really exciting camp yet again. And Are uh, there spots left for that or is it, is it closed? There are, there's actually one spot left at the moment, but I have like four people who are all interested and, and want to get that. Uh, you know, I, we always limit the number of students mm -hmm. so, that, so it stays very intimate and so that the teachers can remember students' names, and it's very sort of personable and 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 like a small family vibe. I don't want to go huge with the camp, right? Uh, so yeah, at the moment there's one spot left, but again, there's I think four people who all want that spot, and I have to make the decision today, actually. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, well, no yeah. slots left on that. But for next year on on July Fourth weekend, be sure to uh, exactly to look up the. Uh, the big drum bonanza and for all the information about Thomas, you can go to his website, Thomas Lang. It's just Thomas Lang.com, right? It's Thomas Lang drummer.com. Thomas Lang drummer.com. Okay. Yeah. And um, if you Google him, you will find him. He's always uh, somewhere doing something amazing behind the drum kit. So <laughs> uh, Thomas, I want to, I want to thank you for, for being a part of this. I appreciate you chatting with me and it's been great to get to know you, uh, you know, over, over the last, well, just recently, but get to, to be right. knowing of your playing for the last 15 years to finally get to sit down and chat has been great. Thank you so much, Nick. I really appreciate it. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. My pleasure. Anytime, my friend. Anytime. You're more than welcome. That's awesome. Thank you. All right. Thanks again, Thomas. My pleasure. Talk to you soon. All right. Bye-bye. So there you have it, guys. Mr. Thomas Lang. I hope you enjoyed it. And for everything that we talked about, all the show notes, links to everything is available, are available. I can't talk today. They All, all that information is there on the website at drummersresource.com forward slash session 185. And I got a quick ask. If you listen to this podcast and you get some value out of it, I would appreciate a rating or review. I'm not asking for money. I'm not asking you to do anything else. I'm asking you to just go to iTunes and 
and leave an honest rating and an honest review. I would really appreciate it. It also helps the podcast show up higher in the search results, which is good to get the word out more and more to more drummers around the world. So if you could do that, I would really appreciate it. And until the next podcast, keep drumming. Thank you so much for listening. And I'll be talking to you soon. Peace.